So I got the Basketball and Other Things book was waiting for me when oh, I got solid. home. Oh, I still haven't bought it yet. Yeah, and the Barnes & Noble, because I ordered the regular at first, and then when I saw the Barnes & Noble had the cards, I ordered that. And uh, the Barnes & Noble one came in first with the cards, so I was pretty amped up about that. Uh, I didn't get, I only got through Chapter 1, the best version of Michael Jordan today. Um, but this looks like it's going to be a very, very fun book. I'm very excited for it. Yeah, that was a fun chapter. Um, I got, I only got a couple through, but I have my book. I gotta keep on with that. I just finished the Frankenplayer. That's a fun one. You'll probably enjoy that one. Yeah, I, you know, I skipped right over the Reggie Miller forward because uh, Fair. fuck Reggie Miller. Fair. I felt like I had a, whether I wanted to or not, you know, I you just kind of ha- you have to, you have to skip it over. It's yeah. like if Paul, if Paul Pierce wrote a forward, I'm not I'm reading. I'm not the buying forward. the book. Yeah. Paul Pierce writes a forward. I'm not reading that book. Yeah, I actually ripped out the pages from the forward for Reggie Miller and Jesus. I started. A, yeah, I started a fire with it. So yeah. it doesn't Brandy even exist Jordan's. in my book. I used a black sharpie to cover Reggie Miller, actually. So on the cover. So send that to the Sistine Chapels, and then uh, caption it. Thanks for the picture. Yeah. Allegedly. Caption no photo. Allegedly. I'm watching this uh, Draymond Bradley Beal fight right now. They fought. Yeah, you didn't see this. Did not. They uh, uh, Draymond surprisingly, put... Draymond didn't start this. Draymond was just yeah. boxing out, and then he tried running back on court, and Bradley Beal just like from behind swung around and caught him. Put him in a, a headlock. And... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was like he was coming for a punch, missed the punch, got him into a headlock. Dude, his jersey got tattered. Down. Oh, I am shocked at another Nike jersey. I I, I love this tweet that's going around. Uh, says from Perry C. Robinson. Uh, Nike expecting to pay two hundred dollars for a jersey that can't withstand a headlock from Bradley Beal, but Arteso for Uni made it out in one piece. He made yeah that jersey made it through the entire city of Detroit attacking him, and Nike can't even get through a Bradley Beal headlock. Think what about a- that. One of my favorite, uh, this extends another uh, streak on this podcast, but one of my favorite... Oh, here comes Bargnani. No, it's not a Bargnani one. Uh, one of my favorite jersey, like, tears of all time, or fight, like, jersey tears in a fight is Jared Jeffries' jersey getting, like, ripped down to, like... Oh, yes. Like, after, uh, after Mello punched him. That was a good fight. That was... Uh... My, my it had a good start. The, well, because it has a, the chaos meter was through the roof. Because yeah. that's the thing. Certain fights, like the Bradley Beal fight, had a had a medium chaos meter. Because normally, when you end up moving the fight elsewhere, like when you if you just you're fighting in you know on court, whatever, it's one thing. But if you fight on court and then you end up off court, right? Chaos it has now been brought into the mix. That fight, these dudes were running like full court. Like, didn't Nate Robinson come out of nowhere? Wasn't Nate Robinson? Yeah, him and Jr. tumbled into the uh, stands. Yeah, yeah, and it was great. And then I, you know, the guys were just running like full court to get shots in, and that's chaos. You got to watch the whole. It was like the Roman Coliseum. Shameless plug for my Italian vacation, but it was like the Roman <laughs> Coliseum. You're just watching the whole court of action is just fighting and chaos and sprinting and cheap shots. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Say what you want about the Malice of the Palace. I enjoyed it. I think we're looking at the Knicks Nuggets brawl with some rose tinted glasses. I, I it was 
it kind of ended up in the same spot. It started off in the same spot where this Bradley Beal Draymond fight ended. I just think it's 2017. You're not going to get arena brawls anymore. I just think people care too much now. Can you imagine Jermaine O'Neal did not slip on that wet spot? I think about this almost every day. When he punched the fan. Yeah. Ooh. He came running. Well, it was, for... go- it was going to swing full on, and he slipped. And, like, thank God. Let's look at the context meter here. Let's compare that to the uh, Miritich and Bobby Portis fight. Where, mm. okay, so these are two guys about the same size. I think Portis had like 10 pounds on Miritich or whatever, like an inch. Um, about the same size. You know, Land, you know Portis put a, what do you make a Miritich concussed? Broke a couple yeah, of bones in his face. So then you imagine Jermaine O'Neal, who was definitely more. Yeah, probably about the same build as Bobby Fortis, but I would think more ferocious even. Um, charging full sprint, so not even standing still, but now charging full sprint at a dude who is not the same size as him, who is much, much, much smaller, almost a just completely different type of person. And he would have he would have killed that guy. I'm pretty sure he would have actually killed him. Yes. Like like yes. if not if not heavily comatose, I think he would have just killed him. Lawsuits through the roof on that. The NBA would have been in serious trouble. Yeah. Like, God damn. What would you say, Jermaine? Outweighed that guy probably 80, 90, perhaps a hundred pounds. He could have been. He could have easily been a hundred pounds heavier than like. Him. Oh. I mean, a do, you, do, you, do you remember what the dude looked like that he was trying to punch? No, but I'm gonna look it up. I mean, I'm just gonna is... imagine like he was like the average. Like, I mean, what was he court? He was courtside. Yeah, so probably I'm just gonna imagine like regular dude, like six feet in height, 150 pounds or so. Jermaine O'Neal probably weighed like 260 in those days. I don't think we talk enough about. Oh my god! What? All right, dude was super short. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Oh my god! There's a seven second video of this. He is so so small. Um. I would say he's probably under six feet tall. He's like, I wouldn't say he's quite chubby, but he's not skinny. He's like a little bit bigger than normal. And like, oh my God. So 5'8", probably like 160, 170 pounds. Like, yeah, Jermaine O'Neal's got easy, easy 90 to 100 pounds on this guy. He had a foot taller than him. Yeah. Holy shit. And like he's swinging down. Oh my God. This is... This is worse than I remember it. I haven't seen this in quite some time. Would you would you rather have been punched that one punch by Jermaine O'Neal? Had that landed and been you, would you rather had that happen to you? Or been one of the dudes that caught many blows from Steven Jackson? Because Steven Jackson just ran oh, in the there. One punch. Really? Absolutely. Because I feel like I can like when there's multiple punches coming, I feel like you kind of like get a feel for it. Like you get hit, and then you know a couple more are coming. You can take it. That one, pu- that was a kill shot coming. That was a kill shot. Like that I was, think, uh, like he neck, was trying your, your to kill neck, him. Your neck was coming clean off your spine had that landed. That's what I'm saying. If it landed cleanly, I probably would have opted for getting punched a couple times by Steven Jackson. Like what is this? Steven uh, Jackson was fighting like in the stands too, like. Like yeah, you can't really. This get dude's much got movement on your punches. You look at the twist in Jermaine O'Neal's body here. 
This like he, the first he dude leans, he ran up on. His entire like he is left foot forward, right side fully coming into a punch there. Like dead on pulling all that power from from like his core. That dude is fucking dead. Whew. Ron Artest connected a couple shots on a fan and the fan didn't drop. That might be the most admirable thing I've seen. Shout out that guy. Shout out that guy in a Rip Hamilton jersey in 2004? Four? Three? Yeah. Four. I think. I think it was four. Man. I can't even imagine what this would be like um, in that social media age. Like this is, I'm in a I'm in a rabbit hole right now. I'm just going all the way down. Can we just live YouTube watching now? <laughs> yeah. With no it, video. It appears that way. And we're gonna put it out like hours later, okay. possibly even a day later. This is this is relevant content. Nothing like malice at the palace. Little topical NBA talk. Let's talk about it. Frank Nielakina better than Markel Fultz. You're here to hear first and probably last. Um, I'm fine with that. Yeah, you wanna, are we just yeah, going to hop into this? There's anything, I don't think there's anything to debate. You know, I, I think this there's is really sort of sense. Though. Well, all right. Let's do this. That's one. Welcome everyone to the TKW podcast. I have with me today making his triumphant return, Kyle Maggio. Thank you, thank you, sir. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back. We're we're real happy yes, to have you. Uh, deck. We got Trey Zingas here. You. What's going on, bud? Nothing. Just and, hanging out. And we're we're recording the day. We're coming off of a win. This is pretty huge. For first, a few on the season. It yes. will be few by the end. I'm, I'm sure. Certain. Can we beat the mighty Brooklyn Nets, best uh, highest scoring team in the league. Until they ran into that Frank Nilakina defense, didn't even score a hundred. That's right. That's right. Um, so you guys watch? Uh, you guys watching last night? Kyle, were you traveling? I was. I was because remember I I texted you guys after I looked at Frank's box score mm. and Frank had, I think. No points. He had, yeah, he had no points. He was like over five or over six or something at that point. And he had like two assists. And I sent you guys a very not kind text about Frank in the group chat, to which I was corrected promptly because I was told he was playing excellent defense, which I didn't really believe wholeheartedly. I figured it was probably solid D. We were probably reaching a little bit because we want him to be good. And then I watched JB's video today um, and the rest of the game uh, after that, and I was really pleasantly surprised. So, yeah, I was traveling. I, I finally watched it this morning, and uh, there was a lot, a lot of good stuff from Frank in it. Yeah, I was I was excited to uh, – I think he stood out the most to me out of anything. Uh, I mean, KP's kind of been looking solid, I would say, 
But yeah, Frank well, was Frank was just like he just looked huge out there. He just he knew that he didn't have to make a huge he, he didn't have to be like a total game changer. Um, he just had to kind of play his game. He just kind of had to like show that he was. It's been a negative week surrounding him, ever since he kind of went down with the injury. He just had to show that he was a little bit more than the bust that some people are already projecting him to be. Skid already yeah. had his name thrown around in trade talks, and he had one assist the before that in his NBA career. I do. I don't know. I mean, I've kind of had the same stance on this, and it was we we've talked at length on different podcasts, especially with. Uh, the Kyrie Irving trade rumors, especially with the Eric Bledsoe trade rumors, that it's so hard to hit on draft picks that are going to be all-stars or anything else. And while, yeah, like you'd love for that to happen, I was just kind of hoping that he was a really solid starter. Like a like a 14 and 8 kind of guy would have been fine with great D, like a George Hill kind of thing. Like I would have been fine if that's what he turned into. And what I saw last night was you know, after I watched the game this morning, um, I just saw, you know, a good feel. Again, it was the Nets, and while they've been better, it's still the Nets, you know, so I don't want to overreact entirely, especially off just one game. Could have been against anybody. But it looked like last night he really did have a good feel for, like, the offense as a whole. It looked like he wasn't really forcing much. It looked like even some of the shots he got up, if they didn't go in, it looked just kind of like it fit in with the flow of the offense. And the defensively, obviously... Um, that's what we're going to really talk about. And he just looked really like natural with kind of what his instincts were when to, you know, kind of guess where the players were going to be in the gaps, whether, you know, whether, you know, when to dive in to the paint to break up a play or a pass. So I just like what I saw. I just see very natural is the best word I can look yeah. for. And I hope, I, I hope it's consistent. That's all I can really say is I hope it's consistent because last night was really, really encouraging. Do you see it being consistent? Do you like what about because to me, I was looking at it and he seems like he has good. I've been hearing that he's not going to be a shooter like he can't really score. And I don't really expect him to be a scorer. Like I don't expect him to put up bunches at any point really in his career. Um, but he looks like really like solid from, uh, you know, from range. He looks comfortable out there. He looks like he has a feel for the game. Um, he had some beautiful passes. That yeah, it, that one to uh, to O'Quinn. Through the lane, yeah, I, that one was really that was nice. gorgeous. Just out of nowhere, he, he did. Two he, of those. he seemed, yeah, yeah. I think the the biggest thing that's standing out to me about him is that he's really good controlling pace. He seemed to be I able think... to turn it up a little when he needed to, slow it down for a sec. He, I mean, he had bumps of, of course in his essential. This is essentially like his debut. So yeah, you I know, mean, he's I just a... I was encouraged. He's gonna have a lot of bumps, but when you asked if I see this being consistent, I think. What I, what was encouraging for me for that uh, answer being yes is some of the stuff that he was doing is stuff that I like to do when I play defense, and not that that even matters, but in terms of when you understand what a, a player is going to do, like when you understand the general sense of a play, like for example, like he he was cutting guys off going baseline, like. He would know that a guy was coming baseline and a pass was coming to that guy. And when you know how to time that kind of stuff, like that's easy going forward. Like you see a guy making the cut, you know that the ball is going to go there. And I mean, maybe sometimes he gets burned, but the fact is if he's knowing where he's supposed to be for passes and other things, and he's just so fucking long that he 
can get anywhere he wants to, basically. I just I kind of think like by default, if anything else, if nothing else, his defense would be consistent. Like, yeah, he's a rookie, like so take it with a grain of salt. I'm not saying he's gonna be an elite defender every night, but I'm saying like more often than not, I think we're gonna see these smart kinds of plays because it wasn't like he was just, you know, long and locking a guy up on ball defense. And maybe, you know, whoever that person was wasn't a great ball handler, or maybe they got bothered by his length pause. But um <laughs> It was like the off-ball stuff is what really, like, encouraged me. He was just, like, timing things really well. Mm -hmm. He knew where to be, how to break things up. And that, to me, is, like, a little bit more uh, – speaks to how intellectual he may be. So I, I hope I, – again, I really don't want to get carried away. I really don't. But I feel myself getting carried away. Um, I, think it, I think that part of his game could be consistent. The offensive stuff, passing included – that's going to vary a little bit more, but I really think that what I saw from defense was encouraging for him being consistent. Yeah. Yeah, totally he agree. without a doubt was super smart about passing lanes, um, off-ball cuts on defense. He just had a generally good feel for the game, so to speak. Um, for a 19-year-old kid, he seemed very poised on defense, and rookies are never good defenders. They might be average at best, and they mm -hmm. usually tend to be just not good. He showed that he was actually confident on defense for one and knew how to use his size to his advantage and was just super aware. Like, I don't know if that's him being critical about needing to make an impact on his debut or if, like, that's how he's going to play every game. Um, yeah, he was hyper aware, and I'm very encouraged by that. And if he's demonstrating that, being that smart at age 19, I think, it's a very, very good sign for us going forward on, with him on defense. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I, I, don't know. I just can't. Like, I've watched that video. I've watched all of JV's videos, and I think I've watched this one the most. Like, I, I think I, maybe I, I'm romanticizing the Frank stuff, but I, I watched this one a lot. I watched it like three times this morning when I was having my coffee. I watched it again before I watched the actual game. I watched the game, and then before getting on the pod, I watched the video a couple more times, and then once as I was talking. And I, I don't know. It's just, it was fun. Again, I don't want to overreact, but it was fun. And I'm really hoping yeah. that, at least I hope his minutes are consistent. And that's if fine. Else. Like, like, it's fine with him just being fun right now, too. Like, if he's just figuring out the game and he's, like, enjoying himself out there, that's going to do a lot for his development and his progression. Uh, no, let's overreact. Let's yeah. overreact. I didn't see Lonzo play that type of defense. I don't see Markel Fultz play that type of defense. Talk about it. I don't see Markel Fultz play that type of defense. Talk right about now. it. I, maybe De'Aaron Fox is actually playing that type of defense. It, but it doesn't matter because we got Frank Nicolatina. <laughs> Dennis Smith is not that good on defense. Yeah, let's talk about it. You know who else I'm we ready. have? We have, uh, we, we have Ramon Sessions. That's Porzingis. Oh, oh, I thought we were going to KP. No, we're going to go to... Uh, why, why, oh, let's why, pivot to remote why? sessions for a sec. Because I want to pivot to... Because I want to enjoy the fact that... He didn't see a minute last night, right? No. Yep. NP or ENPCD. Yep. So this is kind of something that's kind of telling about Hornacek for me, too. And something I'm excited about. Like, he's kind of playing hard with these guys. Like, Sessions didn't play a minute. Jack started, which was... I didn't see that coming at all. I mean, like, I saw, I could have seen sessions like kind of starting and then getting like Keith Bogans as the turn has become and just not uh, playing for the rest of the game or whatever. But like, I didn't see them wanting to start Jack. I didn't see them wanting to start Frank. 
Uh, but I thought Jack really held it down. But even uh, when you look at Ennis Cantor and how quickly he got pulled early, I think Hornacek kind of feels that, that the the reaction that people are giving him that we, I think as fans we tend we're having a, a shorter leash with him now, um, and he's making those changes when he needs to. So can I ask you something? Yeah. You guys know my stance on like, well, we draft a guy, we draft a, a, a high pick rookie that I just want him to play. Like I want yes. him to start. And if you if you took th- this chance on him, you obviously saw something that you truly believed in. Therefore, you should start him and play him as much as you can. Until I know your stance on that. I, I don't necessarily agree, okay. but yeah. Right. So knowing that, knowing that you don't necessarily agree, this yeah. is the question. I think it's fine. And we have talked about this, you know, ad nauseum in the group chat that Ramon Session sucks. He does, for yeah. sure. It could have been any veteran, older point guard that this question applies for. At what point, when is it acceptable for, if you do the whole charade of, well, we don't want to just give the kid the keys to the offense immediately, he's got to earn it, and all that other fun stuff. When do you guys think is the shortest amount of time that you should be doing that because for me like i would say 10 games is like where i feel like the most for that like you start jack you start sessions you let frank get his feet wet a little bit and then you just got to just start him give him the bulk of the minutes and again maybe you guys think more maybe you think he needs the season i don't know um you know behind those guys but i, I when is when is the cutoff for you guys for you know frank to you know quote unquote earn it See, for his minutes I, and, and everything else. It's a little different because I was thinking about this last night when I was watching the game too. Um, I don't think it's... I, I can't give you a quantifiable game. Like, my gut tells me around Thanksgiving. But I'm also... He's the second youngest player in the league. He, You know, he's 19 years old. And I think he's kind of... You know, you looked at him last night and he was connecting with Kylo Quinn really nicely. I, I felt like he was playing well with the second unit and like McDermott was having a good game with him on the court and everything like that. I, d- I just think that I want to see him be able to build some chemistry with the second unit for a few games, prove you can do it with those guys. And then we can move you up with the, with the starters. It's not like Jack or sessions really deserve to be up with the starters either, but we have more invested than Frank Neal Aquino. We don't really care about how Jared Jack or Ramon sessions does. That's like, like you were saying, I feel like I, you know, prove it, prove it in practice, prove it in li- in lesser minutes, and then the more and more minutes you get from there, you know, keep up your consistency. You can you you could be nineteen, you can have bumps in the road or whatever, but keep showing that promise. And you know, I think that's when you get more minutes, and more minutes translates into a starting role in this case. I think. And and Trey, if you had to put a cap on when you'd want to want that whole charade to end. I- Initial like gut reaction, as Anthony said, is to say Thanksgiving, which is about a month into the season at this point. Um, I would say worst case scenario, Christmas or the turn of the new year. So two months in is that like twenty twenty one ish games or so. Um, but when it comes to this Knicks roster and how they have zero respectable point guards on it, um, Jack is not very good anymore. Ramon Sessions is not very good. Ron Faker was an inactive last night. Um, in this scenario, I would lean more towards Thanksgiving. I don't necessarily think he's got to um, earn the starting role, so to speak. Like Anthony said, getting the chemistry and stuff with those guys, because that's going to come on the fly, if not in practice. 
which I guess is still technically on the fly, but yeah, um, give Frank his minutes. He's 19. He should be durable. Well, never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, n- never mind. Give, give him his time, and you can start him, play him 22 minutes or so, and let him establish chemistry that way. Here's, yeah. here's my counterpoint to all this, too. If this whole train is just derailed immediately, like if the Knicks are you know, are below like even a, like a 250 record or something like that. And it's just a complete utter garbage fire. Let him have it. Like give him the reins. It's not going to matter anyway. Just, you know, just fucking show out. Cause my, my thing with this is always, you know, even for like Dennis Smith, right? Some teams are scared to take Dennis Smith because of his injuries and whatnot. I don't think anybody didn't like him as a player. They just think it was mostly injury scare and he dropped a couple of spots. Um, that's what I think anyway, but, um, I just think it does something for a young player's confidence to be like, listen, man, like we took you with a top 10 pick. We believe that you're the future of this team. And, and I don't, and again, maybe this is one of those, as we kind of progress month to month, year to year, um, in any sport, we sort of do away with the old unwritten rules or old rules of sports. Like, you know, in baseball, our generation is more prone to like, yeah, flip the fucking bat. Like, it's fun. We want baseball to be fun. And old school baseball says otherwise. And I feel like this is one of those things that I, I'm in the minority, I think, still. But again, I think he does have to earn it. But I think it's more of like earning it by keeping it. My- like, give him the starting role. Let him prove that he deserves it. And when he doesn't, go, okay, we gave you 10 games or so. And if you're not playing well like we thought... I would scale it back a little bit. I just think I want to see them try to turn it into a winning team first. And like, I, cause I think that it it does more for a player's progression to have them playing a smaller role on a winning team uh, versus, you know, versus being given the show, letting them have their mistakes and saying record doesn't matter. I think if it comes to the point where he's, you know, kind of doing really well in his role and he's moving forward and the team's kind of still not winning, then that's fine. But like I want to before I'm going to like thrust him right into the driver's seat and say like, you know, the world like the NBA is your playground now. Do make your mistakes, do whatever you want, like just keep growing. I want to see that there's this team is basically hopeless before that happens. I I'd ra- I know we're not going to be a good team, but, you know, there's there's a lot more than than record or winning that could go into what could make a, you know, a, a, a first year experience really be beneficial for him. Okay, that's right. I don't agree with you guys entire. I don't agree with you guys entirely, but that's I, fine. I and none it. of us are running the it. show over there, so you know we can only we can only dwell on it. Man, um, I hope we starting soon. Oh man, I hope well, we starting soon. Let's talk about uh, potential replacements at point guard because earlier this week, you know, uh, the Eric Bledsoe thing got dragged around a lot. Um. And yeah, it was Frank and Billy were the two pieces that the Knicks were, you know, discussing giving up in a trade, and I, that was pretty obvious. I don't think they want to move any picks out right now. Um, and it seemed like those two would have been enough. They held off, and I think we can all agree that they were they were right for holding off on that trade. Yeah, yeah, I, and I also didn't think this is the thing that made me laugh too is whenever we do these trades with disgruntled stars, and then. We, as the analysts for any of anybody's uh, Twitter accounts, any other NBA team's analyst, 
we put out these trades and we're like, well, this would work. Well, that would work. And then you almost immediately, I know Anthony got backlash to like some of his trades and they were just mm -hmm. like, well, this wouldn't be fair to the Suns. The Suns would never accept this. And, I, and then it kind of made me laugh. Like when you're dealing with a disgruntled star or a star where the team or the player has hurt their own trade value, almost never do you get back equal value. I think so that's in never... any trade really too. Well, it, like, it's in any one trade side has got to give. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one side usually gives a little bit. And then when this happens, one side usually gives more, whether they're receiving less or giving more, you know? So that's why when people are talking about, well, Frank and Willie would be equal value. You got to give up two good young guys to get a talent like Bledsoe. And I'm like, well, yeah, in a perfect world, that's how this would work. But nobody's giving up a lot to get uh, Eric Bledsoe. He's had injury issues and he's disgruntled. His trade, it's sort of like a younger Carmelo, basically, without the no trade clause, where like there's no leverage for the Suns. Like, we know you need to move him. You're public about this little battle that's going back and forth. So I just kind of thought that was funny. They probably would get a deal like Kyle O'Quinn and, you know, a second rounder and maybe Courtney Lee to make the salary work or something, you know, like. Right. There's only uh, a handful of deals that the Knicks would really put together. Right. And I just thought it was silly that people were like, well, you know, about like the whole debate about, well, Willie and Frank is too much. I'm like, well, even if it was too much, it's not going to fucking happen because you're not going to get equal value in this trade. Of course you're not. Like, we got Ennis Cantor and Dougie McBuckets and a second rounder for Mello, and that was the right. best of all the bad deals. And, right. of course, that was an equal value for Mello. Right, yeah, like, obviously. Like, you just know, obviously, obviously. We knew from the beginning, we're like, we're not going to get equal value. Hopefully, this deal doesn't totally fucking blow. And it kind of blew. But you have to understand that you're not going to win that trade when you have no leverage. Mm -hmm. So that's what, that's what made me laugh. Because, of course, we weren't going to give a bull. But I don't know. Um, so with all that being said, I, my kind of follow-up question to that is, oh, Ian Begley's on. Oh, I just spoiled the name. <laughs> all right. Um, let me give him a ring. I guess we'll just, we'll just keep picking up from where we were. Woo. Oh, there's a lot of dead air. No, that's all right. I'll just, I'm gonna, I'll just cut this as soon as he comes on. Should we, should we backtrack a little bit to, uh, Hey, can you guys hear me? Hey, hey, hey what's going on, Ian? Hey, what's happening guys? Hey, I am so sorry. No, it's uh, all good. About missing you guys. Excuse me earlier. It was hanging out with the family, and it totally slipped my mind. I'm so sorry about that. No, so, no problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we just, we just got into things. A... What'd you say? We just got into things. Uh, we were just chatting okay. about the uh, the Bledsoe news from earlier this week. Um, what what Can you tell me what all that kind of seemed like to you? Like, What did you think about the value for Bledsoe on the market and what the Knicks were kind of willing to give? So... I think they're smart to not give up Nilakina or Hernan Gomez, and there are a couple of reasons. One, with Nilakina, we don't know what he is yet, right? You know, we've seen him play for, you know, less than 40 minutes, both preseason and, and regular season. So 
I think the Knicks need to figure out exactly what they have there before they start to offer him on the open market. You've got to get a better idea of his value. And, of course, if he is the player that they think he is, they're not going to want to trade him. So it makes sense from my perspective for them to hold on to him. And the other thing is with Billy Hernan Gomez, listen, he could be a very valuable player for your organization down the line for years to come. They do see him as someone who is uh, a part of that young core that they want to build around. The other thing is, if you trade him, you might as well forget about Kristaps Porzingis signing an extension with you. I mean, that's how mm. I see it. I don't, I'm don't. Yeah. i not reporting anything. It's not like inside information. I just think that if they traded Billy, Kristaps, with the way things are between him and the organization right now, that would really hurt their relationship. And I think that he would really, really uh, struggle with re-signing their long-term if they de- dealt Billy. So it makes sense not to deal those guys. I don't think they have anything else on the roster that would get a Bledsoe deal done. I mean, I think if Phoenix, if Phoenix is doesn't have great offers from other teams, maybe they accepted like a second-round pick and Courtney Lee, Kyle O'Quinn, but I think they have stronger offers from a Denver or from a Milwaukee. So, you know, I think the Knicks approach here makes a lot of sense. Keep your young guys. If you can get Bledsoe for guys that you may want to trade anyway, that's great. But don't mortgage your future for them. So I was kind of asking uh, Kyle this right before you hopped on, but I'll just open it up to everybody. Uh, Do you think or do you see any players that are out there now that are kind of looking like they're in uh, rocky territory that might be more available as the year goes on? that we might want to consider moving someone like Billy for, or even potentially Frank? You know, unless it's an established young uh, player on the rise, I don't think so. I don't think it makes sense. And, and you know, those guys are, are generally not available mm. on the open market. Obviously, Jalil Okafor is going to be available in Philly. I don't think he fits anything that the Knicks need, so it doesn't make sense to me for them to mortgage their future to bring him in. And, and and the kind of player that the Knicks are looking for, the kind of player that the, that could push the Knicks forward right now generally doesn't become available via trade. So I'd be surprised if there was a player who really caused them to say, OK, we have to move Frank or we have to move Billy for this guy. I would be surprised if that player became available on the open market. Can you imagine the Knicks bringing in another, another center, getting Julia Okafor into this mix? I would fucking <laughs> blow up the car. I would flip a table. I mean, it is. How many? Like, how many can you fit on one team? It's wild. Oh my god! I wouldn't like trade the a whole pair of Tim's for the wall. And the Knicks are stockpiling centers. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, all right. Yeah. Anything else on that? No, I was just gonna say. Um, we were we talked about it right before you came on, Ian. But I just wanted to get your. Thoughts real quick on um, what you saw from Frank last night. Because while it wasn't anything, you know, extraordinary, we were really impressed with uh, just overall feel for the game and especially defensively how he was using his body to kind of disrupt a lot of plays. So what stuck out to you? What did you enjoy? Uh, Anything in particular? I kind of saw what you just described, just the, the, the level of... I hate using this word because it's not a word, but comfortability, the idea that he was so comfortable out there Mm. at 19 years old. I mean, that's not, 
that's not typical, right? That's not what you'd expect from a 19-year-old. You'd expect a kid who's jittery, who maybe like, you know, fumbles the ball, doesn't make all the, the right rotations or the correct movements on defense. But what he did with the ball in his hands, he looked extremely comfortable. Uh, he, he, he played with a great pace. He wasn't going too fast to where he was playing uh, outside of himself. He just, it seemed like to me that he looked like a guy who's played professionally before, which he has. And I think that that's what you saw last night, a guy who the moment wasn't too big for him. And, and that's impressive. You know, he's played at a very high level in France. His team in France, as you guys know, reached the final. So he's used to a big stage. So I was impressed just by the way he was so composed out there. And then, you know, you talk about defense. Jeff Hornacek mentioned this last night. The way he defended the pick and roll, the way he was able to fight through some screens and force that ball handler on the pick and roll to give up the ball, maybe swing it to the wing and not make a pass that leads to an open shot. Just just the way he was able to defend on the on the pick and roll a couple of times, I thought was impressive. And that's so valuable in today's NBA. And you know, I think he's just gonna get better, obviously on both ends of the floor, but particularly on defense where he can really be a weapon for the Knicks. And it's the weapon that they haven't had in so long. They haven't had somebody who can be a lockdown perimeter defender, especially who can defend these great point guards in the NBA night in and night out. So, you know, listen, it was one game. But if Frank can develop the way the Knicks kind of see him developing over the next several years, maybe they can have a guy who can, who can defend the most important position in, in the NBA for years to come. Yeah, I, I just thought... I just thought the most encouraging thing was, like, you know, scoring, you can have, like, fluke kind of nights. But he just seemed – it wasn't offense. It was like we've been talking about, defense. And he just seemed really um, instinctual about where he was playing all night. And I don't know. We, we were really encouraged by it. We all hope it, yeah. it stays. If anything, you know, you always hope that defense can stay consistent. The offense will always come. But, yeah. I mean, defensively, that's something – it's kind of like – they talk about in baseball, if your fast speed shows up to the ballpark every day, if you're a good defender, that should show up to the court every night because that's something that's pretty much in your control. It's just effort and athleticism. As you said, you may not make shots every night, but if you can defend the way he defended last night for an extended period, I think the Knicks are onto something here. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other thing uh, I think we want to get your thoughts on too was KP is headed. Phenomenal start to the season. I he's mean, he's been a monster. Yeah. He's been a monster, flat out. He really has, and I think, you know, what you're seeing, coaching staff has mentioned this a couple times. Is, you know, his first couple of years, maybe he starts off strong, plays strong into the third quarter, but you know, there were stretches of the game where he was clearly gassed. Right? It was his, either either his lower half gave out, or probably wasn't conditioning, or maybe it was a strength thing. But they're not seeing those stretches in games this year. They're seeing him, you know, 35, 36, 37, 38 minutes, be strong when he's on the court and play with that energy when he's on the court and not fade out. And I think that's a credit to the work that he put in over the summer, uh, just the strength and the conditioning. You're seeing that that work kind of play itself out on the floor. Um, so that, to me, is is encouraging. And obviously the points are great. And the way he adjusted from that Boston game where he had a tough yeah. time against those double teams, the Celtic double teams, you know, last night, I didn't see too many instances where he was swarmed, but he did a really good job 
taking advantage of the, the height advantage he had on Rondé Hollis Jefferson and just getting a shot up quickly rather than being a little cute with the ball and, and, um, and trying to put a move on Rondé. He caught it and he shot it and it was effective. And Jeff Hornacek said that that was one of the differences that he saw between how Chris Stapps handled that matchup in the preseason and, and how he handled it last night. And, you know, the idea that he can make adjustments that quickly, well, we're talking about a couple of weeks, is pretty encouraging uh, for the Knicks. KP was booking Rondé last night. It was great. Yeah, he really was. Just taking advantage of that, that height advantage. And credit to Jared Jack, too, for getting him the ball there, especially early on in good position to take advantage of that, that Rondé matchup. Yeah, Jack looked good yeah. last and night. I, do you think uh, when he played with uh, Latvia in Eurobasket, he was clearly the number one option there. Do you think that helped ease him in to transition to being the number one option this year? I do. I mean, I think any kind of an experience like that is going to help you. And I think what also helped him is, you know, those teams were playing really physically. They were beating yes. him up. Yes. And that he said a couple times, like, that's helped him kind of prepare himself for what he's going to face this season, the, the total attention of opposing defenses and guys playing physically and trying to get him out of his game. He, he said a couple times that that's helped kind of prepare him for what he's seen thus far in the NBA season. Solid. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I've been, I've just been looking. I've, I've been encouraged by him. I was a little worried that the bottom was falling out a little bit, you know, after that Boston game. I was a little worried after that only because it seemed like he had gotten a little slow around the third quarter, like in that first game of the season, and a little bit against the Pistons, too, around the third quarter. But, yeah, I mean, he kind of pulled it all together last night and really convinced me that he's, you know, he's, he's ready to take the reins this year. He's ready to be the number one scorer. And I'm, I'm just excited to see, I guess, how the rest of the roster will kind of mold, um, kind of mold next to him. Because it seems like Hornacek is ready to make some switches. We, uh, he, we were all really critical on him in, like, the beginning of the year. But, like, he pulled Cantor super quick last night. He didn't play sessions a minute last night. I guess I'm kind of curious, Ian, like to get your thoughts on Hornacek at the beginning of this season and if, how much faith you think the front office has in him and how much faith you think the fans have in him. Well, I thought, honestly, like I thought if they lost that game last night and if they lost it in embarrassing fashion and then, you know, you look at their next three games, they have Cleveland, obviously, tomorrow, and then they have Denver at home on Monday and then they have Houston Wednesday. So let's say they lost that Nick game, right? And then you know, it's reasonable to expect them to lose the next three. If they were 0-7, you know, I, I think that he his job security kind of would, would be an issue there at that point in the season because what management was looking for, at least as far as I've been told, is just a consistency, excuse me, consistency of effort on both ends of the floor from these, especially from these young guys. And they want to see, you know, incremental improvement over the course of the season. I think everybody's realistic about you know, what the roster is and what the win expectation should be. But they just want to see guys playing hard and they want to see improvement, particularly on the defensive end. So, you know, they didn't see that, obviously, when you talk about that Boston game, the OKC game. So I think there was a little bit of concern there, particularly because the preseason, you didn't see much of it either. So I think last night was big. Um, it's, it's silly to say, like, it was a must win because it's game four of the season. But I think Everybody can kind of relax a little bit now that the Knicks got a win. Um, so that that's just kind of dealing with Jeff's, Jeff's job status. I think he's, he should be fine now because I don't think 
listen, unless they unless they go through another tailspin here and look awful, you know, I think what they showed last night is that they're trending in the right direction. And, you know, if they wanted to let Jeff go, I don't think there's an obvious replacement on the bench that you say, hey, we're going to have this guy be the interim for the rest of the season and it's going to be, you know, valuable for us. So, you know, there are issues there and it's tough to bring in a new guy from the outside in the middle of the season. So there's a lot of hurdles to, to making a coaching change at this point anyway. But I think Jeff's OK. And I think what we saw from last night, playing the younger guys, that's what everybody wanted to see. Right. So he, he gave you that. The results were good. Um, let's see what his rotations look like against Cleveland, against Denver, against Houston. Does he continue to give Billy Hernan Gomez minutes? Does he continue to give Frank Nelikina minutes? Does Jack Jack continue to start? I think fans want they want hope from this season. If if Frank continues to get minutes and and shows you glimmers of what he can be, I think everybody will be pretty satisfied. Absolutely, I totally agree. Um, uh, anybody have yeah, a question? Or? Oh, you know what I was going to say? You know what I noticed about KP this season besides the obvious monstering of, you know, his, his scoring thus far? It seems like he's not fouling a lot. Last couple of years, he had foul trouble almost all the time. And the first four games of this young season, he's not really getting into foul trouble. I found that kind of interesting. Yeah, I noticed the same thing. It's, it definitely seems like those those ticky tack fouls, those cheap fouls that he was he was getting whistled for the last couple of years. That's not the case this year, and I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing him play more minutes, which is excuse me a, a good thing for the Knicks, obviously, and a good thing for him. Um, haven't really talked to him about it, but I know in, in Eurobasket he felt that he was getting officiated a little bit unfairly. He thought that sometimes the refs. Well, they said they weren't, you know, trying to put him in foul trouble. They they were whistling him for a lot of things. So I don't know if that made him a little bit more cautious coming into the NBA season. But whatever the reason is, yeah, he's certainly fouling a little bit less. Yeah. Do you think it has anything to do with the rest of the players playing better defense, like not allowing guys to get to the rim as frequently so he doesn't have to rotate over and pick up um, the Nicky Tech fouls that you spoke of? Yeah, you know, on it, that could be part of it. That could be part of it. I don't – I'm honestly trying to think back to the last couple of seasons. First of all, last year was like a blur because of everything that was going on off the court mm. uh, as far as covering the team. But I think, if I'm remembering correctly, a lot of times, like, going for a rebound, he would get whistled for a cheap one or kind of on a reach-in. So I don't know how much that has to do with the guys around him and how much it has to do with just – a greater awareness of what is and what isn't going to get called in the NBA. And, you know, but you could be right. It could be the guys around him, kind of them, him trusting them a little bit more on that end of the floor, and that translates to fewer whistles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just have a couple quick questions if you're willing to entertain um, <laughs> some of them. Yeah, yeah, whatever you guys have. I was the asshole that was – Late, so I'm happy to, no. happy to hang out and talk. Um, so I've noticed you're kind of a Twitter clapback guy. Um, <laughs> is there anything to it, or is it just human nature coming in and people thinking they can do your job better than you? No, you know, sometimes just I try not to say anything ever because I, you know, there, there are better ways to spend your time, especially now I've 
you know, wife and a young daughter at home. So I try not to get involved, but every once in a while I'll see something and I'll blatantly disagree with it or catch me at the wrong moment. It gets under my skin. I can't help it. Um, so I will respond, but I try not to because everybody's got an opinion. I generally respect everyone's opinion, but you know, if somebody says something personal about you, it's get everybody's human, right? It gets under your skin a little bit. And sometimes you respond. I try not to, but, or if I see something that's completely wrong or moronic, just poor logic, um, sometimes I'll just have to say something. I can't not, my, but my, it's all fun. My favorite thing about your clapbacks, my favorite thing about the clapbacks is I had all over the summer and even the beginning of the season, I had my alerts set for your tweets. And then when it wouldn't be something, you know, breaking news or newsworthy, it would just be you clapping back at somebody that would pop (laughs) up as a notification on my phone. I would just be working at my desk and all of a sudden my phone would go off and I'd look and it'd just be you sassing someone. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely hilarious. I forgot where it was this go around, but I was somewhere and I checked my phone. It vibrates because I also have your notifications on and it's something like, Oh, it was gl- it was good to see you at the press conference. Like knowing the dude wasn't there, <laughs> I just start laughing so hard, man. It was um, it was absolutely hilarious. I'm here for you clapping well, at anybody. Um, also, I appreciate that. Now that I know you guys have me on notifications, I'll try to keep it off basketball. I won't, I won't <laughs> fill your phone up with that nonsense. Actually, Please don't. You know Please what? Leave me you know what? You don't have to report anything. Just keep clapping back. I'll take all those notifications. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. That. Um, also, while we're talking Twitter, why won't they verify you? Oh, you know what? I think one of the rules is, like, you have to... Somebody said you have to have, like, a background picture, I think. Some, really? Somebody... Yes. Interesting. Somebody talking to me about it said you need a big background picture. Honestly, I, I haven't gotten around to putting that picture up and I haven't gone around to asking. Um, I, to, I don't know. Maybe this is the wrong attitude, but I don't care that much. I know I, I know it's important just because, like, fake accounts or whatever else, but I just I, I should take the time to do it. I'll Trey's really concerned because he's, got, he's gotten got by your accounts account. before. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a shame if someone got got by a fake Begley account. It would be a damn shame. Fake account. Someone. Oh, man, this is in my feelings. Someone made a fake account and tweeted something about if Joe Noah does not end training camp with a starting position, he was going to retire from a fake you. Oh, really? <laughs> Wait, did I fall for it? I'm texting <laughs> in the Knicks Wall group chat like, hey, look what's happening. Like, there's no way he's going to win the starting job. And the dude had eight followers. I was like, wow, a lot of people unfollowed Ian. That's really weird. <laughs> um, and it was so odd, especially because we knew Trey had your notifications on, so I wasn't sure how Trey ended up at this particular tweet. But it is what it is. You know what? I don't want I don't want people to get fooled, so maybe I'll just I'll try to I'll put a background picture up. I'll switch it up. I'll get verified. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't. It's it's funny because uh, people. Well, people like make a big deal out of it, and I, it does matter. But I just haven't, I haven't, I guess, cared as much or enough to to take the extra step to put pictures up. But now I'll do it. That's fair enough right. with me. Anything else, Trey? I got, I got a, uh, yeah, I got at least another one. Do you play basketball at all? So I grew up playing hoops. Um, 
I was not good. So I played in middle school and a little bit in high school. And my uh, cultural claim to fame was whenever I, I played junior high, high school, I think seventh, eighth, and ninth, I was always the only white guy on my team. So <laughs> I was very proud of myself for that. You know what? I was a big, right? Uh, and that was the problem okay. because I was tall, but I had, I had zero athleticism, could, could not jump over a credit card. So I was playing against guys who were fantastic athletes i couldn't get a shot off in practice man every time i went into the post tried to back somebody down would just get swatted so it was uh it was a tough existence um those three years but i love playing with those guys we had some really good good teams for the the ages that we were um and then after that i just played recreationally really was not very good but obviously loved the game um baseball fan too was a big football fan, but a big hoops fan uh, growing up. That was great. That was honestly just a preface because I was going to ask who, um, if the uh, Knicks beat writer guys and the media people, if they had a pickup game, who do you think would be first pick? Um, Berman. No, definitely not my boy Berman. <laughs> no. I love Mark too. Uh, we're all like. Old white guys, man. So it would it would be an ugly game. I think um, if Herring was I still might, around, Herring might get up there. You know, once in Boston, um, Chris, myself, and Nate Taylor, who covered the Knicks like for a couple of seasons for the New York Times, we played one. Uh, I'm sorry, we played three on three against Frank Isola, Steve Popper, and Alan Anazone. And without getting into too much detail. Uh, Chris, Nate, and I won the game. I think I don't know if we played one or one or two games. We definitely won. We were at the Boston Garden, so that was cool. And uh, somehow I ended up with a bloody lip. I, I forget if it was Al or Steve. I got an elbow from somebody, but Chris was pretty good. Nate was pretty good. We played well together. Um, but now maybe it would be either me or uh, Bondi would probably be. You know, okay. the, the right. first pick in the beat writer draft, but it's really not an honor. It's really just a sad group. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And my quick last one When did you realize you were the best Knicks beat writer? Uh, I appreciate uh, that. I tried to sneak one in. I tried. He took a second. I, I can't listen. I can't, uh, uh, to be 100% honest with you, I, pre I appreciate you saying that. That means a lot. But I wake up every day, man, just, you know, thinking about, what's next, you know, what's coming around the corner, what am I going to get beat on? I'm competing against, you know, great reporters uh, locally, nationally, all over the place. So I don't even – I really appreciate you saying that, but I honestly wake up every day thinking about, shit, what, what's going to happen today? What am I – what do I need to try to find out? What, what's, what's, what is my competition going to have? So I just I approach every day like it's nothing, nothing, and, you know, I'm – I need to compete. So, um, I, again, I, you said it, and I appreciate you saying it. But I, I don't really. I try not to think about that. I just try to take it, take it one day at a time, as the players say, and and just try to do my best every day. Because again, you're talking about some some great reporters and strong competition every day on this beat and you know around the country. Um, but it's fun competition and it's good hey, competition. Man, you're you're at the top of your game. Just keep doing what you're doing. So you'll close. be you'll be fine. So 
I appreciate that, guys. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It definitely means a lot. Do you have uh do you have anything you need to plug? Um Yeah, no, nothing nothing in the near future, man. Um but I appreciate the the offer. I mean, obviously yeah, yeah. every day I'm tweeting and doing our little social items and writing a couple times a week, so keep an eye on my my Twitter feed, but yeah, nothing to plug, but uh Definitely appreciate you guys having me on. And again, yeah, thanks for coming. I'm sorry on. I blew that uh, the 4:30 thing earlier. You're all I good. I had a little Halloween party with the little one. Totally forgot. So I'm very sorry about that. But uh, I'm glad we could make it happen. It's all good, man. Hope all you right. enjoyed the day. Uh, anything else from you guys? Did you dress up? Did you have a costume? <laughs> I did not. I uh. did not. My daughter's nine months old, and we put her in a little. Uh, lion costume so that was cute Ooh, awesome we, we had fun with that yeah um awesome. can we get can we get one are last you, line are you on guys the mix dressing with you? up well i got a question for you guys oh. who is are you guys dressing up i know what do you how old are you guys you guys are a little younger right so halloween is that what a, still a big night out for you guys yeah i'm going uh, out tonight I, i'm dressing nice. up nice i've got yeah, uh I, I'm, are you guys in new york i'm in chicago okay i'm in poughkeepsie Okay. I'll be I mean, going out Halloween in... Halloween in any city is so much fun for, like, you know, guys who are still single and go out. I feel like it's just Ain't an no. excuse for, you know, everybody to dress up in their uh, most... Actually, I'm not even going to get into it, actually. I'm I'll just going to say it's I'll be going out night. around Wrigley Field. I think that'll be a good oh, time. Not, you're gonna have oh, oh, yeah, yeah you're, all, you're all set, my man. I got, I, got, I got a bar <laughs> crawl. I got wristbands. I got everything. I'm good to go. Oh, nice. What's who, the who you going as? I am going as you guys see my Snapchat in the next wall uh, Snapchat. I, 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 did. I did. I was wondering what territory you were going. I'll, with this. I'll reveal it to all of you before I re- reveal it to the rest. But I've got a serious Bob Ross getup going on. I've got. Oh, nice. I got the wig. I got the hair. I got the shirts. Like I got the I got the beard going right now. I got. I got That's it. very on brand. That's I, very on brand. I, I know. I know. I got a little palette too. Like here was my concern when I was going out to all these bars. Like I was gonna get a full on like big painter's palette to have on me, but I knew what was gonna happen <laughs> is I turn my arm sideways and everyone would use it as a table, and they just start mm. putting their drinks on top of there and I'd spill it. It would just be a mess. So I got a little one, and it's got a little it's handheld a palette. Um, I'm I'm pretty stoked on the whole costume. Cost me like twenty bucks too. It was great. Not bad. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. We're gonna have a fun night. I'm I think I'm gonna go as the. I'm going to go as an Uber driver, I think. I think uh, I'll see where that takes me. Nice. <laughs> Good it, possibilities it, there. Yeah. No, unfortunately, it's because I do, in fact, Uber. I, I moved oh. as an Uber driver. So uh, oh. they, they wrote me in with the surge pricing because... That's uh, the thing. It's a big weekend, right? Yeah. And I just got back from uh, my honeymoon. So uh, I am, in fact, broke. And uh, so you, have, <laughs> <laughs> you have to fill the bank account back up. Yes, sir. I respect that. Where'd you go for your honeymoon? Italy. Nice. Yeah, it was a Very good time. Very nice. You guys had fun? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, we saw tons. So it was a it was a very long, very good trip. But it's time to get back to work then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. This guy's so humble. Brings his lunch pail every day. <laughs> very, very focused on the job. Yeah, deceptive speed. Absolutely love it. Uh, Ian. If you're in media, is it still Coach's son? What? Are you... In media, is it still Coach's son for the cliche here? Never mind. What, yeah, 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 yes. No. That is definitely a cliche. 
he he plays like a coach or something, like Doug McDermott. Yeah. Oh yes, Ron Baker. <laughs> yes. E. I, think, I don't know if Ronnie B's dad coached, but I know Doug's obviously did because he coached him in college. But yeah, mm. Ron plays like a coach's son for sure. Can you give us uh, one last line on the Knicks before we get you out of here? Uh, okay. Uh, the biggest thing for me, man, over the next couple of years is just how things progress with, uh, the organization and with Chris Stapps. I think, uh, there's every opportunity for this thing to the relationship to get in the right place and go in the right direction and for things to end really well. Uh, he loves the city. Uh, I think he loves being a Nick. Uh, but I think there's, there are things that, that need to happen to secure, uh, to make him, I think, more secure about spending, you know, the rest of his career here. So, for me, that's that's the biggest kind of overarching storyline for the next couple of seasons is putting the organization, the current management, um, getting him comfortable with the idea of spending the rest of his career here. Okay, all right, that works awesome. for me. One um, last, yeah, yeah, go ahead. What, yeah, just one last one because uh, we got to settle this at some point if Frank really takes off. Are you more privy to? Frankie smokes or Frankie nicotine? Cause I have come way around <laughs> on Frankie nicotine. French Prince, man. I'm all in. French Prince so, is good. Yeah. I don't, I'm going to have to ask him what he thinks. I'm guessing he's not going to, he probably won't love Frankie nicotine. Although if you're going to go with one of the, the smoking nicknames, Frankie nicotine is pretty good just because it aligns with the last name. Uh, I like French. I do like French Prince a lot. I'm 34. So, Fresh Prince was a big part of my uh, upbringing. Uh, but you need something that's going to resonate with everybody, like people of all ages. So um, I, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I'm going to have to ask him what he thinks because it seems like uh, French Prince is the one that's kind of gaining steam at the moment. I, I do like that one. All right. Well, you can just let us know next time you come on the podcast. Happy Ooh. to join you guys again. Um We'll be on time, I hope, next time. But, yeah, I'm definitely happy to join you guys again. We um, always thanks got, for having me. We always got time for you. Ian Begley, thanks a lot, man. Uh, I just want to shout out everyone that's followed the next wall um, last night or early this morning. I'm not sure which. We hit 6,000 followers on Twitter, which is totally amazing. Um, I've only been a part of this uh, organization for two years now, and we've yep. gone from, like, 2,200 to 6,000 followers in that time. So thanks to all of the people that work with us. Shout um, out to the dudes who were watching. Followers. Yeah, just shout out to everyone watching uh, JV's videos too, the Knicks Film School videos. Yeah. Uh, what do we have, like 15,000 views on that Frank thing last night? Yeah, already. Um, so shout out Corbo, Kyle, Ty, Ankit, Bailey, Brendan, Harrison, Jack, James, JB, a.k.a. Nick Film School, Matt, Mike, Meets, uh, Nick, Pete, aka Nick's Hive, Reed, Ryan, Steve, and Jonah. So I just and Seamus and Seamus. Seamus, dude. Seamus <laughs> still listens. I know he's listening. So shout out to him right now. I see. Oh, I see you, man. Shout out all six thousand of you guys who hit follow. Yeah, it's uh, here. You guys are the reason why we do this, and yeah, it's just it feels good. It feel it feels nice to uh. Bringing the, bringing some people on board, really sharing what we know with everyone. I don't know if we know much more than everyone else knows, but it's cool that you guys are listening. We appreciate it. 
It's cool to think that other people think that we know more than they do. Jokes on them, guys. Jokes on on y'all.